This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening. Let's talk some Orioles. It's April the 24th, 2023. The Orioles are now 14-7. and They're winners of six straight games, and they are the holders of the second-best record in the American League, behind only the 19-3 and Tampa Bay Rays. Yes, it is very annoying the Orioles are this good, and they are still four and a half games back of the division lead in the American League East. But you can't hope for much better than the Orioles being on pace to win 108 games after playing 13% of their season. That's an auspicious number. It is the number of stitches that are on a baseball. People who are my brand of nerd may also recognize 108 as the number of stars of destiny in the Suikoden series of video games. But I'll just move right along from that. This is the third best start in Orioles history up to this point. That's only been bested by the 1966 Orioles, who you may recall went on to pretty good things, and also the 1968 Orioles, who themselves won 91 games. That was not good enough to get you into the postseason in 1968, but I think that 91 wins will be good enough to go somewhere good in the 2023 season. So the Orioles themselves, fresh off their walk-off victory on Sunday afternoon over the Detroit Tigers, a 2-1 to game where they overcame having no runners for the first six and two-thirds innings to win that game in 10 innings. Yes, former Orioles farmhand Eduardo Rodriguez had them uh, had on perfect game watch, only broken up by Ryan Mountcastle in the seventh inning. And so to me, the fact that the Orioles were able to go on and win that game that made it one of what I call one of quote unquote those games. And you know, the what I think of as the the ultimate one of those games goes back to the 2012 season when 
the Orioles fired off the the Chris Davis pitching game. It just felt like there was absolutely no way that the Orioles were possibly going to win that game. And then they ended up winning it anyway. The 2012 Orioles had quite a number of those games themselves. And it's, I, I think of that as being a, a necessary but not sufficient condition for a good team. You need to be able to win games that it feels like there's absolutely no way that your team is going to win. And you need to do that in some large numbers because those are the games that separate what's something like an 81 win team from like a 90 win team or whatever. So if it, it's a good sign, if the 2023 Orioles can be winning some of those games, I think that once we got to about June of last year, last year's Orioles were pretty good at winning some of those games as well. Unfortunately, they had dug themselves into too much of a hole in April and May. So the 2023 Orioles starting off very hot in April is a pretty good way to uh, change their fortune in that regard. Of course, it helps to be able to win those games if you have players like Jorge Mateo, who I'm not only mentioning because he's my wife's favorite Oriole, but Mateo had one of the key plays in that game when he was able to score from first base on an Anthony Santander double down the left field line with two outs even, so I didn't expect Mateo to be able to score on that ball, but he's just so fast that he was able to do it, and third base coach Tony Mancelino uh, was aggressive in sending Mateo. Sometimes that doesn't always work, especially when it's like a contact play for a runner on third base who's not terribly fast. But Mateo, he's the fastest guy on the team, and challenging the Tigers, who are not a very good team to make the play, turned out to be a good decision. So that was the tying run. Of course, they ended up winning when Mateo himself was at the plate although it was a walk-off wild pitch, so Mateo did not really figure in that outcome too much. But still, nonetheless, I am happy that Jorge Mateo is on the team. The key thing for me in that game, I think, was Grayson Rodriguez, or at least looking at his performance, he wasn't exactly dominant. He allowed five hits and three walks over his five innings, but it was still five shutout innings, and he struck out six batters, so that has Rodriguez with a 5.12 ERA through his first big league action. He has struck out 25 batters in 19 and third innings in his major league action. That's pretty darn good. And luckily for Rodriguez, or at least we can hope it's luckily, his next start is presumably also going to come against the Detroit Tigers because the Orioles, after a brief interlude against the Boston Red Sox coming up next, will face the Tigers again for four games starting on Thursday. So that's kind of the continuation of what's going to be a largely soft schedule for the Orioles, mostly through May the 4th. Starting on May the 5th, that's when it's going to get tough. They're going to face the currently division-leading Atlanta Braves, as well as after that, the dominant Tampa Bay Rays. So that's when it's going to get hard, and hopefully the Orioles are going to be up to the challenge to ramp it up right when they start playing the good teams. But also, hopefully, they're going to be up to the challenge of beating the Tigers for those four games that are coming up. But between now and then, the important question for the Orioles is going to be after facing the weak offenses of the Washington Nationals and the Detroit Tigers, can their pitchers keep rolling now that they're going to be going up against a much more prolific Boston Red Sox team? 
the Red Sox, up to this point, they're averaging 5.74 runs per game. They've scored the third most runs of all Major League Baseball teams. So that's not exactly easy pickings. It seemed when the Orioles played them the first series, I think I was not alone among Orioles fans who wanted ours to believe that the Red Sox were going to be bad this season. And therefore, for the Orioles to blow the Saturday game in that opening series where Ryan McKenna dropped the fly ball and then it turned into a walk-off home run by the next batter. That made it hurt all the more because that was a game against a bad team that the Orioles should have won. Well, maybe the Red Sox are not as bad as I want them to be. They are, after all, still above 500 after they've played 23 games. They are 12 and 11. They have a very prolific offense, although they're also giving up a lot of runs. So their Pythagorean expected win and loss record is also 12 and 11, even despite of all the runs that they've scored. Their offense up to this point has been led by Raphael Devers. He's hit eight home runs so far this season. That's more than anyone on the Orioles has done. Alex Verdugo once traded for uh, then Red Sox star Mookie Betts was another guy who's leading the pace so far this season. He brought an 889 OPS into Sunday's game. So, the Sox themselves on Sunday, they put a beatdown on the Milwaukee Brewers, and that included such a crazy inning that Red Sox outfielder Masataka Yoshida not even had two opportunities to bat, but also hit home runs in both of those at-bats. Yoshida, he had kind of a light-hitting first few weeks in the major leagues, but you got to wonder if that game is a sign that he's starting to turn things around. The Red Sox, of course did not take their foreign signee outfielder and immediately bury him for a Rule 5 pick like the 2016 Orioles once did with Hunshu Kim for Joey Rickard. And so it seems like Yoshida, well, he certainly had the pedigree that made the Red Sox want to give him the contract they did. And he did have a bit of an adjustment period to Major League Baseball. Hopefully, I guess, for the Orioles' sake, that adjustment period continues for at least another few days. I guess if there's one bit of good news the Orioles have, it's that they won't have to face Adam Duvall, who wrecked them pretty good in the first few games of the season. Duvall is slugging over a thousand for the season, but that's because he's only played in eight games and he's been on the injured list for a couple of weeks now with a wrist injury. So Orioles pitchers will not have to run into Adam Duvall, which I guess is good news. He was maybe turning himself into one of those guys who destroys the Orioles and nobody else. I don't know. But he won't be destroying them in this series, it seems. I think, for me, the big problem looking to this series, and really every series going forward, is that the Orioles, the defense has some problems. And we all, I think, know it just from the eye test, but it's been confirmed by some of the advanced metrics. For instance, the Orioles measure 29th out of 30 teams on the StatCast outs above average metric that is kept by Major League Baseball. They are at minus 13 outs uh, below average so far this season. That's pretty bad. Last year's Orioles were 15th among all Major League Baseball teams. Over the whole season, they were at plus two outs above average. So you want to, if I mean, it's better to be good at defense, but middle of the pack is much better than the very bottom of the pack. And the two big problems for the Orioles. Again, if you've been using the eye test, you're probably not going to be surprised. The They really line up with what we've seen so far in these advanced metrics. They're the third base. They're at minus seven outs. 
A lot of that is from what's classified as a straight-up play, which is balls that are not quite right at the fielder, but more or less in in, in his, uh, his easy range. And unfortunately for me, because I was very excited for Gunnar Henderson before the season, a big chunk of that, maybe even all of it, is Gunnar Henderson. And I think that in addition to maybe not fielding some plays that he would have done last year, he's also made some shaky throws. And I don't know what's causing that. It's it's a bit concerning. Um, he hasn't been helped by Ryan Mountcastle at first base, not making some picks that I think maybe should have been made. But Henderson also has uncorked some throws that you can't blame whoever is the first baseman for not making. So I don't know if Henderson is kind of carrying some of his struggles at the plate forward into the field. You know, sometimes that happens and since as Yogi Berra famously was said, uh, 90% of baseball is half mental. And it, I don't know how much of that is going on with Henderson right now. You know, you want, you want the players to be in a position to succeed. And I hope the Orioles can get it figured out for him because he's, um, Although he's still posting a good on-base percentage, he's really not looking confident about making good contact. And that's not the player that Orioles fans saw in the last month of last season. So I hope whatever's happened to change that can get fixed pretty soon. And plus the defense, because he was really good at defense in that month last year. And so I don't know what's happened there. I, I'm I'm a little worried, I guess. not Not on panic mode yet, but it's something that needs to be addressed, I think. Along with the other struggle area, which is left field, and that's at minus three outs above average so far. In large part, that is Austin Hayes, who in, in another metric, the baseball reference war, the defense component of that, Hayes is already at negative 0.6. That's giving back a lot of defensive value through only 21 team games. And for Hayes in particular, it's a bummer because he's hitting very well. So if he was merely a zero for defense rather than in the negatives to the degree that he is, Hayes would be at about 0.8 wins above replacement and would be, I believe, the third best player through BWAR on the team so far. So Hayes, to me, well, he's also getting penalized on kind of the straight-up uh, play, and he, he grades poorly in every component of what StatCast measures for outfielders, which includes uh, the initial jump, as well as the sprint speed getting towards the ball, as well as root efficiency. And again, if you've been watching Hayes every play, uh, you've, you've certainly seen some ones where he's just inexplicably not really gone the right direction and a ball has ended up turning into some kind of hit that maybe it shouldn't have been. So that's another one to keep an eye on. But as long as Hayes at, at least is hitting, you can't get too upset at him um, playing as much as he is. So I guess we'll see what ends up happening with that. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, so let's get into the Prospect of the Day feature. This is from my composite top 20 Orioles prospect list that I put on CamdenChat.com if you want to spoil yourself and see who's coming in future episodes. For today, we are up to number seven. If you've been following Orioles prospects for a little while, you certainly know him already. That's Joey Ortiz. He came in as high as number six on some of the five lists that I use for the composite and as low as number eight. So pretty pretty wide um, consensus agreement of the range that he belongs, and that's why he has come in at number seven on that prospect list. And on some of the lists, the league-wide lists, he's even snuck in near the bottom of top 100s. Uh, I believe he's number 99 on one list that I saw and number 95 on another. So you know, it, it's cool to be a top 100 prospect. It doesn't tell you everything there is to say about a player. Certainly some good players have ended up not being those top 100 prospects ever at all. But, you know, it's it's nice to be like, okay, our, our Orioles prospects, there are large numbers of them on the top 100 lists. So as for Ortiz, the Orioles drafted him in the 2019 draft. He came in the fourth round. They picked him later in the draft than Adley Rutschman, who was the number one pick for them, and Gunnar Henderson, who was the number two pick. He also was drafted later than Kyle Stowers in that draft class. But I think Ortiz is interesting on this prospect list because he marks the first prospect who was drafted later than the very top of the second round, which is Henderson, uh, where the Orioles took Henderson in that 2019 draft. And I think that's going to be crucial for the Orioles to keep having a good farm system as they're not going to continue to pick in the top five of the draft as the team is good. So being able to develop third round picks, fourth round picks, fifth round picks, and even beyond into useful prospects and eventually either good big league trade bait or good big league players is really going to determine a lot, I think, of whether the Orioles can sustain the kind of elite talent pipeline that Mike Elias always talks about. So Ortiz, they drafted him from New Mexico State University. He was a teammate for two years there with now Oriole Kyle Bradish, and hopefully they will be teammates again sometime in the 2023 season. At the time of the draft, um, on one of the thorough prospect rankings, which MLB Pipeline goes up to 200 draft prospects, and Joey Ortiz 
ranked number 179 on the that draft prospect list. So I think with a top 200, there's really not a huge margin even between like number 100 and number 150 or number 150 and number 200 or whatever. But so he was noteworthy enough to be a name to know, not a top two rounds pick or anything. The Orioles, maybe if he was um, a number 179, is maybe more like the fifth round or even the sixth round. So the Orioles maybe liked him a little bit better to draft him in the fourth round. But even so, they took several players before they took Ortiz. At the time he was drafted, that MLB Pipeline scouting report said about him, quote, his best quality is his ability to stay shortstop long-term, end quote. And they also said, quote, Ortiz should be able to hit at the next level, although the power is a hitter-friendly environment mirage, end quote. He had a very good slugging percentage at New Mexico State. That is a conference that is notorious for having a lot of uh, hitter-friendly parks along with the kind of climate conditions in that conference as well. So Ortiz, one of the things that made him get graded down, he is what gets called for baseball players undersized, listed at 5 feet 9 inches, which probably means he's actually a little bit shorter than that if you measured him on the scale at the doctor's office or whatever. It doesn't mean he can't succeed. Obviously, there are short Major League Baseball players, uh, shorter guys than listed at 5'9", even, who are stars, none less than Jose Altuve on the Astros, for instance. But it does kind of mean the odds are against him a little bit. Most successful players are taller than that. Ortiz, he got added to the 40-man roster by the Orioles last November. They needed to add him there to protect him from the Rule 5 draft, which, of course, they did. Ortiz, he's kind of had slow development as a prospect due to the minor league season being canceled in 2020 thanks to the COVID pandemic. And then coming out from that, Ortiz was only able to play in 35 games in the 2021 season before suffering a shoulder injury. So that knocked him out for most of the first post-pandemic canceled season as well. So Ortiz is actually going to be turning 25 years old in July. And that's when you start getting a little bit old to still kind of be a top 100 prospect. You're you, At that point, you really want to see a guy make his debut, or I guess maybe if he's not going to make his debut, then be traded. Um, there are fans of Ortiz in the prospect writing world. I think none more than the athletics Keith Law, who was one of the guys who had Ortiz ranked as the number six guy in the system. He wrote of Ortiz that Ortiz, quote, remade his swing and body during the pandemic year, end quote. Law now thinks that Ortiz is, quote, a 60 defender at short with great actions and soft hands, possibly the best defender of the Orioles' many shortstop prospects, end quote. And the 60 defender reference, remember, is on baseball's weird 20 to 80 scouting scale. So 55 is when you kind of say above average, and 60 is when you're starting to get into pretty darn good. So that's what makes him possibly the best. And, uh, you know, if you have a 60 defender, it's not the greatest, but you're doing pretty darn good. So one other thing Law said about Ortiz, he expects that uh, Ortiz is going to be able to have, quote, a high average hitting 30 to 40 doubles and 10 home runs, end quote. I like to hear that. I don't know when we're going to get to see Ortiz at the big league level. So far in the 2023 season for AAA Norfolk, he's played in 15 games He's batting 361 with a 373 on base percentage, a 526 slugging percentage. He has not hit any home runs yet, so all of that 
kind of slugging percentage number is largely coming from his high batting average and then a little bit from doubles and even triples. So Ortiz, uh, I I don't know where he's going to settle in for the power. As Law said, it's maybe going to be more doubles than home runs, which is still pretty valuable for a good hitting shortstop. One other noteworthy thing about Ortiz, so far he's only struck out 12 times in 66 plate appearances. And you may recall on the last episode, I spoke of the stabilization rate for certain rate statistics, which is the point where you can start to feel like a sample size is maybe kind of meaningful. And for a strikeout rate for a batter, that's actually only at 60 plate appearances. And Ortiz is already uh, above that threshold, and he is striking out only 18.1% of the time. So he makes a lot of contact. That's not like zero strikeouts, but in today's game, 18%, that's, that's pretty good for a strikeout rate. So that's what makes Ortiz, one of the things that makes Ortiz an interesting prospect. And I guess the question will be, what is his future role? It's tough for me to see a 2023 role for him unless there's a trade of somebody like Jorge Mateo or Ramon Urias, or if either one of those guys or like Adam Frazier is injured, or if someone... I guess mostly Frazier is so bad that he gets designated for assignment, although I think it would take a lot for the Orioles to do that with the guy they gave $8 million as a free agent. I guess one other less enviable um, possibility that could bring Ortiz up to the majors is if Gunnar Henderson stays in a funk for so long that the Orioles decide to demote him to the minors. That would be a bummer, although it would be exciting to get to see Ortiz. Probably on balance still a bummer, although there would at least be some silver lining. I guess it's 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 really tough for a prospect to break in when you can imagine the existing options at every position he might play are at least have the potential to be decent or better. I think one way to look at that is look at what's happened to Kyle Stowers, outfield prospect, and the existing Orioles outfield, all of Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, and Anthony Santander, at least feel like they have the potential to be decent or better. So you don't want to just cavalierly toss those guys aside. Although certainly Santander is struggling so far at the plate and Hayes is struggling a bit in the field. So you can want to see Kyle Stowers or even the prospect we talked about a couple of episodes ago, Colton Kowser, instead of those corner outfit guys, maybe. But I, I think it's going to take more than that for the Orioles to pull the trigger and move along from any of the outfielders. And by the same token, I think it's going to take a bit for them to be ready to move on from any of the infielders. So until there's a spot opened up, I, I guess Ortiz is going to have to cool his jets in the minors or Ortiz could turn into trade bait the same way that I kind of think that um, Jordan Westberg, who we talked about last time is going to be. But for now, I just, I, uh, I, well, I get excited seeing what he does for AAA Norfolk. And, you know, as long as he's down there, he's one of the guys where I will be happy when I see him doing well in the box score. And until he shows up in Baltimore, I guess that's all we can do. If you want to email me, it's camdencastpod at gmail.com. I am happy to read your, uh, answer your question or just read your comment on each episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review. There will be new episodes of Good Morning Birdland every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will see you on Wednesday. Until now, until then, excuse me, you can tweet me at camdenchat on Twitter. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.